tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. You can find me at Ben Lewis, SN590. And you can find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Well, I'm thrilled for this week's episode as we have a guest who is absolutely one of my favorites to watch compete when uh, I was watching tennis as a teenager, Mike. I don't know about you, but uh, we have a very special episode 18 lined up. I, I wish I could say I was still a teenager back then, Ben, but uh, definitely a player I enjoyed watching. And uh, in fact, the first player I ever asked a question to in a press conference back in 2008 in uh, Washington, D.C. I might even tell you how that went later in the show. But uh, Andy Roddick, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. As I try the mental Rolodex of me potentially being rude to a first-time journalist at an ATP event, I'm sorry in advance if I did something <laughs> terrible. No, you know what? It was, it was kind of like my initiation. I actually felt uh, like it was a badge of honor to wear afterwards that I survived a, a grilling from uh, Andy Roddick, so don't even worry about it. Yeah, I've never understood why why uh, why the press is the only person allowed to ask questions or make statements. You know, I feel like it should be an even an, an even deal. It, it started well. I started strong, and then I felt like, hey, maybe I can throw in an off the cuff uh, second question. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't kind of uh, land and, and hit the mark. So you uh, you called me on it, rightly so. And uh, ever since then, I've I've been more prepared as I enter uh, the press room. <laughs> Well, good. I, I, I apologize, but I'm glad it's turned out okay, and hopefully yeah. we can bury all, bury all hatchets. Yeah, well, I'm still doing tennis, uh, what, 11 years later, so I guess it worked out. Um, lots of Toronto listeners here who are uh, excited for your uh, return to Canada, return to Toronto this week for the Invesco Series event. Can you tell them uh, what can they expect from the four of you on Thursday night? And uh, between you guys, which player maybe takes this uh, you know, the most seriously uh, between you guys? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we, we, we still want to go out there. I think we still have uh, an ego about wanting to play well. I think the, the result probably matters a little bit less than it used to. I think we're, you know, we're, we're, we've moved on, uh, a lot of us at least, to, uh, I, know, I know Robbie hasn't yet, but uh, to, to fatherhood and some, some kind of different things. But, yeah, I mean, I think you always have an ego uh, about trying to play well. I think it's, uh, it's an opportunity for us to be a lot more interactive you know, with, with the crowd, we, we, we want uh, crowd participation. We will not get pissed if someone's walking around during a match and getting involved and yelling. Like it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more interactive than, than when, when we were on tour. And it was uh, frankly a pretty, pretty selfish existence. Um, you know, so listen, we, I think we all still uh, feel like we're lucky to be able to get out there and, and uh, to have people actually want to spend uh, an evening watching us still. And so that's not lost on us. For those who aren't familiar, it's going to be an All-American affair. The first match is between Jim Courier and James Blake at 7 o'clock, followed by uh, Andy against Robbie Ginepri at 8, and then a finals at 9 p.m. Andy, what part of your game would you say has kind of stood the test of time since you retired seven years ago, and what part is the, uh, the hardest one to keep up? It's amazing that you still think there's a part that's held up. With the test <laughs> my mistake. Sorry about that. Uh, the, the, when, when my shoulder's in shape, I, I can still serve a little bit. Um, my back end's actually probably the same. I mean, it wasn't very good on tour, but for, you know, old man tennis, it's not bad. It, it might have gotten a little bit better. Um, the forehand for me is the, is the hardest one. Um, I, I've lost a bit of, uh, of the wrist, right, that kind of, mechanism that makes you be able to kind of turn the ball over and create different spins and uh, kind of fire it on the run. And that's, that's the hardest part 
um, when you're not kind of playing uh, super often, that, that that kind of fire on the forehand is, is is something that I that I struggle with sometimes now. And and Andy, I'm just looking back at your career, and you must have pretty fond memories uh, of Canada that stretched there, 2002 through 2004. You had a pair of finals in Toronto. You had the Masters 1000 win in Montreal. What do you remember from those years of playing in Canada, and and how fun is it to be coming back uh, to do these types of Champions Nights in, in Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of great years, even even before the the years you mentioned. I remember in. In 2001, um, I, I feel like in Montreal, I, I, I might have barely gotten into my own ranking for the first time, and I had my first win over a, a world number one in Gustavo Quirton. Uh So that was a huge milestone. And then in 02, the final you mentioned, I, I became, uh, I think I passed a couple of my heroes in the rankings um, with, uh, with uh, Pete and, you know, kind of was flirting with the number one American. And so that was, that was crazy for me. Um, you know, I remember kind of that day where I, you know, became the number one American for the first time. And that was, that was nuts. Um, the win in 03, um, you know, it was the, <laughs> it was, uh, it was the start of the space between wins against Roger. <laughs> I, I beat, I beat him there. And then I, I waited a little while before I decided to do it again. Um, but uh, it was just great. And, you know, the, the, the fans are amazing. And it was, it was fun to kind of go back and forth between the two cities. That was, uh, you know, it didn't happen anywhere else uh, with, uh, with, with the Master Series events. So, um, you know, I, I always felt lucky to, to, to be able to go up there, and it was, uh, it, it was a great time. And um, especially early in my career, I, I, I tended to play pretty well up there. Uh, and for our listeners, coming Thursday night in Vesco Series, Andy Roddick will be competing uh, along with James Blake, Jim Courier, and Robbie Ginepri. Uh, I know from when I watch you as a player, uh, many people think of the serve and your huge forehand. I always just really admired your competitive spirit and your drive. Now, I, I know these Invesco Series nights, you guys love to have fun, but uh, do, do you still feel like you have that inner drive of competition sometimes when you're stepping on court or maybe even as a fan when you're watching? Do you ever get that inkling or that drive to to really get out there and, and compete that way that you did? Oh, man, I, I, I know the answer I'm supposed to say. <laughs> There's um, no answer you're supposed to say. It's okay. But, but honestly, like I, when I was playing, I was, uh, I was probably pretty tough to be around. I was, you know, very, very focused. I, I worked all the time. Um, you know, if it wasn't tennis, it was fitness. If it wasn't fitness, it was nutrition. If it wasn't nutrition, it was getting treatment. And I, I was, I was very inward looking. Um, when I retired, it changed very quickly. Um, you know, so, so am I, is my not going to be ruined if it doesn't go my way? No. Do I want to play well because it's super fun to still play well? Uh, and it's not a given um, anymore. Um, yeah, but you know, I I, I don't think you're going to see uh, <laughs> outbursts. Or, you know, I, I'm probably not going to be upset with any question you might ask afterwards. Or you know, it it it, it, it certainly doesn't dictate the terms of my day anymore. So you're not handling these events as competitively as Johnny Mac still does at the age of 60, I guess. <laughs> well, we talk about it a lot, and it's like, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see sometimes. I'm like, man, I cannot believe that he's upset. I mean, I was <laughs> for the first probably four years I was off tour, um, maybe five years. I, I felt like it was a choice for me not to be, you know, not to be playing and not to be, you know, not competing for slams, but at least competing to win some tour events. And um, I could still play pretty well. 
and and I'd beat Mac, and he would, you know, not say anything for the rest of the night, and he was he would just get really upset, and like he took it. And for me, I'm like, it's this weird divide between that. I guess that's not the way I tick anymore, and this like kind of weird respect that that's why he was the way he was. That's why he was great. And that's, you know, he's kind of still ticks that way. It still bothers him. So there's equal parts judgment and admiration for, for how seriously he still takes this. Uh, we, uh, we love watching, uh, you know, all the, all the fresh faces these days kind of emerge on the ATP tour, although it's still sort of the big three uh, of Rafa, Fed and Djokovic who have the complete uh, stranglehold with all the Grand Slam titles. But are there any of those younger names, maybe the, the Medvedevs or Tsitsipasas, or are there any of that young crop of players that maybe you do see a bit of yourself in in, in terms of how they, they handle and carry themselves and how they compete? Well, I, 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 I like Medvedev. I think I identify a little bit with, with Medvedev because he looks kind of ugly when he plays. <laughs> it's, not something that's su- it's not something that's super appealing. He kind of shovels the backhand around, and, but he, he competes. You know he's going to be there till the end. He wins the matches he's supposed to win, um, and, and that's kind of something I took pride in. There, there, there seems to be a yeah, – I think there's probably a little bit of a talent divide between him and someone like Rafa – um, and he's just trying to figure out how to trim the margins. So I can certainly relate to what to what he's going through. And you know, uh, I, I also kind of get that. You know, we've we've heard Sitsipas for a while, we've heard Shapovalov for a while, and we've heard kind of all these flashy names and who are fun to watch and who are kind of human highlight reels. And then all of a sudden, Medvedev comes along and kind of surpasses all of them in 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 a, in a span of months. Um, I, I felt like I dealt with that. You know, there, there were guys who were amazing players like a Gasquet and like in, in uh, I felt like they got a lot of love from, from kind of the tennis heads where I was just kind of chucking it in the court and, and, and trying to hold serve and find a way. And so uh, I, if there's someone I could relate to, it's probably Medvedev. And I, I certainly enjoyed his run at the U S open. It was, it was really cool. And I was, I, I was at the stadium and I had done probably four or five days of, of, of kind of corporate, stuff on site and so uh you know two sets to rafa i i hit the exit door um i headed into the city had some dinner with my friends i got to the dinner and they go medvedev won the set and he's up a break in the fourth i go is this like rafa can't lose from two sets two sets up that's it's like an impossibility this this the stat that i was repeating ad nauseum during that week was that rafa is something like 239 and five when he's won the first set in a grand slam match it's some just ridiculous stat and so i'm like is he is this guy gonna like break that i mean is that, it, it was it was crazy and i thought it was great tennis it was great for the sport and um you know i i, I kind of secretly cheer for him because uh, i feel like he might have been overlooked uh you know for the for kind of the flashier players it was kind of neat too to see him go from sort of pseudo villain earlier in the event to being really embraced by that new york crowd afterwards especially with his post-match comments uh, after after falling to nadal in that fifth set you know, it's there's there's room for honesty, and it doesn't always have to be the the pretty version of it. You know, it, it you know it, what he did was early in the tournament. He felt it. He was getting booed. He was it it upset him. He was like, "I'm gonna win in spite of you, and I might win just because of you." And he didn't shy away from it. I, I kind of like that. You know, sports is like the best reality show of all time. There's no script. You just you you, you kind of roll them out there, and you see what happens. And uh, the, the non-negotiable thing for a New York crowd is effort. And, you know, they, they want to see you trying. They want to see you dig in. So 
he won them over over the course of that tournament. You know, they, they, they value kind of that sheer determination and will maybe more than an unfortunate soundbite. And frankly, I, I didn't think it was that unfortunate. I kind of think there's room for a bit of a, a heel in, in, in tennis and in, in a heel that actually, you know, tries all the time. So, so that's the heel. I got to ask you about another player on tour who, you know, when you speak about honesty and then entertainment, maybe we don't always get the effort, but Nick Kyrgios is certainly one of those figures that has the potential to really bring a new fans, I think, to the sport. And yet he seems to constantly be putting his foot in his mouth at inopportune times as well. Hasn't maybe yet found that balancing act between the fans, the media and, and on court, uh, you know, performance. What's your take on Nick and what potential he has uh, for the sport of tennis? Well, the, the sport of tennis is going to need someone like him at, at a certain point. Um, there's going to be uh, a vacuum as far as the business side, especially in the men's game, when Rafa and Roger and Novak kind of go on their way. They need someone with that that, that crossover type appeal, and, and Nick's kind of the obvious candidate for that. But uh, for me, it's just tough because, like, I just want to see someone try all the time. And I don't feel like that's too much to ask. And I don't feel, you know, like you can be a victim if that's what's being asked of you as a, as a professional. Um, you know, and then I listen sometimes and it's, it's, he's like, I, well, I just don't want all this attention. I don't care, you know, all this, but then you cater to a social media following. So that would suggest that you actually like that uh, attention and you kind of create that attention and, you know, you retweet videos of yourself going nuts. And so for me, I just need a little more clarity about what's, what's preferred from him. And uh, Nick Kyrgios certainly does seem to, to thrive in the team environment. And we saw one of those team environments this past week. Uh, tennis is getting these new types of events and, and the Labor Cup now just had its, its third installment. I wonder if you had a chance to watch any of it. And what do you think of maybe these types of events and if they're going to have lasting power in our sport? Well, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if if Roger's event lasts past Roger playing. Um, you know, obviously, when you get arguably the most kind of universal, universal popular athlete on the globe playing three times in a weekend in his home country, and, um, you know, there's only so many times that he's going to be able to call his own number. Uh, you know, so I, I think the real, the real test will be kind of the post-Roger era of, of labor cup and post Rafa era, are they showing up for the individual players? Or are they showing up for the actual event? And I, I don't know if we know that answer yet, but heck man, I mean that the excitement of the event is not disputable. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's super exciting when you're, when you're watching it and the, the players are all buying in and uh, you know, it, it's almost made for social mediums with, with the Rafa coaching people. And, you know, it, it was, it, it's, it's great to see, um, you know, as far as staying power, I don't know, but it has pushed the envelope. You know, I, I feel like the the real disappointment on my end is, you know, Davis Cup had kind of control of, of of this lane for so long, and I feel like they blew it by not adjusting and not changing with the times. And you know, their argument for most things, well, that's the way we've always done it. I'm like, well, you know, you know, people used to go to Blockbuster Video too. <laughs> um, you know, so I, for me, I, I feel sad because. You know, Labor Cup's amazing. I saw that the top 10 guys in the world, plus Murray and his comeback, are playing the ATP Cup in January. And now Davis Cup is trying to find a lane that it used to own. Um, you know, so, so for me, who Davis Cup was such a big part of my career, 
I just look at it and I kind of shake my head at the at the missed opportunity and maybe um, the stubbornness of, of that event. Yeah, and I, I certainly hope Davis Cup is valued the same way it used to be because it was one of the prized team events and country on country, I, I think, is awesome. Uh, staying on Federer and Nadal just for a second, and uh, you mentioned loving Medvedev and his fight reaching the U.S. Open final. I, I know as a former player, you can maybe ex- speak from a bit of experience on having faced all of them. Mentally, what is it really like sort of walking out on court knowing you're getting prepared for a Fed, a Nadal, or a Novak? Well, it, it matchups matter. You know, for me, the toughest matchup was obviously Roger. You know, he could hit that low chip to my backhand where I was just kind of scooping it and couldn't really attack it. Um, if Rafa, it was it was pretty straightforward. If If I was on something fast where I could get cheap points on my serve, then I felt like I had a shot if it was if it was uh, you know a slower quarter clay, then it was it was uphill sledding uh, significantly. Um, and Novak, I actually had a pretty good record against. But um, it's it just you you it's a, it's this fine line because uh, you feel like you maybe have to do things that are uncomfortable. Um, against Rafa, I knew any time I had two feet underneath me, I had to take a swing at the ball because you have to play first strike tennis. If you get into extended rallies, it's just not going to work out uh, too often for you. Um, so it's adjusting a game. They make you kind of play outside of what you're comfortable with. And, oh, by the way, you're going to have to execute it for hours at a time. So there, there is a, a mental pressure that is kind of always there with those guys. You can't kind of hold serve, expect them to miss two or three balls, play a sloppy game. It doesn't work that way. You know, you kind of have to come up the goods um, for, uh, for an extended period of time, which which is tough, you know, how to do it. You know, everyone can talk about that, but actually stepping up and executing it is a, is a different story. Uh, somebody who's planning on coming back and, and trying to execute once again, a uh, great former player on the women's game, 36-year-old Kim Kleisters recently announced she was going to come out of retirement and play on the WTA Tour in 2020. And, and before you think you know where I'm going with this question, uh, because I, I can tell you're pretty comfortable uh, with where you're at in retirement and your career post-tennis, but were there moments after retirement as you made that transition in your life where you did it all think of maybe trying to come back and, and make another go of it? No, um, not really. Um, you know, I was, I was lucky. I had things to transition into uh, post-tennis, um, whether it's my foundation or, or, or business or, or, you know, family, um, giving my wife the best version of myself for a change and not being, you know, selfish with my career and kind of selfish in general, um, you know, so it was it, for me, I loved practicing with the guys who were still on tour and I loved playing sets against those guys in practice. And, you know, my ego was served, you know, trying to win sets then and kind of getting a, a, a maybe a little bit of a peek as to where I thought I would still be, um, you know, but I didn't need an audience for that. Um, you know, Kim, on the other hand, like every person that you, every WTA player that you hear of that plays her in an EXO or something is like, there's no chance she should not be on tour currently. Um, It's not a choice for me anymore, but um, you know, she was a, 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 she was a tournament director a couple of years ago at some event Uh, final. uh, One of the girls pulled out, she stepped in and said, hell play an EXO and beat the girl who was in the final pretty handily. (laughs) Um, So she, she still has that game. And Kim is, one of the all-time great people um you know she wasn't scared on you know she she won three slams after uh jada was born it, that's something that i don't think it's talked about enough um 
you know, and, and now she's kind of been raising her family for a while and coming back. But everything you hear kind of behind the scenes is that Kim Kleisters can still play really well. We talked earlier about how Johnny Mack is still playing at the age of 60. How, how much longer do you see yourself playing with these guys? And do you see any future involvement in tennis, maybe when the kids are older in terms of getting involved, either in a coaching capacity, commentating, or, or some sort of leadership role in the sport down the road? I don't know. Um, you know, it's hard to predict opportunity, right? You know, you're, you're asking me to be presumptuous about the opportunities that will be, uh, will still be there. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I enjoy being a fan. I don't need to uh, attend every event and, you know, kind of be in the scene. And, you know, those weren't my favorite parts about the game. Um, you know, so it, I, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I did some commentary for BBC. I enjoyed it, but am I willing to be away, uh, you know, from my family for a couple of weeks to, to sit in a box and watch someone do what I used to do? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not there yet. I, it's, it's hard for me to predict the future. Um, the, the hard thing about tennis is, is that, you know, geography stops for no one. You have to go to the tennis tour um, in, in whatever capacity, whether it's commentating or coaching um you know a leadership role would would be interesting i feel like maybe it's not as as uh, geographically in, intensive uh as 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 maybe some of the other things but um i don't know i i love it but i don't feel that need to be around it all the time um you know i'm, I'm happy watching from a distance i love watching some of the young players it's i mean you, you all have to be going nuts with what's going on in canada right now on the, on the good side of things yeah to say we're um, happy is a bit of an understatement <laughs> yeah i mean but but that but that's the fun part of it like i would rather watch you know shapovalov play uh felix in the first round and uh you know Andrescu kind of maybe looking like you know, the, the, the person who kind of takes the mantle here. Um, that's exciting to me seeing kind of the newer players, but you know, I, I can, I can watch that from, from, uh, from my couch or, or wherever I happen to be at that, at that time. Right on. Well, Andy, I, I'm sure uh, all of our Toronto tennis fans are so eager and so excited uh, to be watching you this coming Thursday at the Invesco series. We can't wait to see it as well. And uh, we look forward to hopefully chatting with you uh, then uh, in a few days. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on Matchpoint Canada today. Thanks, Andy. Guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. That was former world number one U.S. Open champion Andy Roddick, and he will be competing at the Invesco Series coming Thursday in Toronto. Can't wait for that. Pretty cool having him. I got to say, it's pretty cool having Roddick uh, on the show with us. Uh, Again, I was a little bit older than you, Ben, but still someone that, uh, like I said, first question in a press conference. So it's kind of cool all these years later to get to speak with him again. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan at the event sitting behind one of Andy's opponents, keep your head up. I know the Toronto crowd, sometimes <laughs> the corporate crowd down low, you know, it caught in conversation and whatnot. You better be paying attention because that surf still has some pop on it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, he'll be front and center at the Mattamy Athletic Center. Uh, we did have a change to the lineup. So it's Robbie Ginepri in place of Mark Philippoussis, a uh, solid former American player as well. And then we'll have uh, Jim Courier, James Blake as well. Matchup of first couple matches is semifinals to get things going, seven and eight o'clock. And then they'll play a little fun little final at nine. Which yeah, will we'll, be terrific. We'll have a new champion too, because Mark Philippoussis actually has won this event in 2017 and 2018. There so we're, we're guaranteed a, a new one. And uh, yeah, these matchups, I mean, I've been to several of these sort of uh, legends events. 
And uh, you know, sometimes they don't hit their mark. I saw a, a, a quite an aging Yvonne Lendl a few years ago, and he just you could tell he hadn't been playing and hadn't been able to sort of keep it up. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, you see John McEnroe, who's still at 60 years old, has such incredible touch and hands and feel for the game. And yep. as Andy mentioned, he's still got that uh, temper too, which I thought was kind of an act. But I guess clearly, judging from uh, Andy's <laughs> comments earlier, that is not the case, but uh, always enjoy it from sort of a, a historical standpoint, you know, being a, a historian of the game and just enjoying the the progression of the sport and sort of the passing of the torch from generation to generation. So from a nostalgia standpoint, I really enjoy these events. And, you know, James Blake and Andy Roddick haven't been out of the game that long. Uh, Jim Courier still hits a really good ball. Mm-hmm. Ginepri standing in for Philippoussis, so hopefully he's been uh, sort of active as well lately. But really looking forward to this. And uh, we were fortunate enough to get a bunch of tickets um, from the Invesco series to hand out to our listeners and we had a healthy amount of uh, engagement from them this week. So mm-hmm. maybe now is probably the best time to announce. We've got six pairs of tickets. So uh, we're going to announce the, the six uh, people that we've, we've drawn for this. Uh, by Twitter handle, we've got at 4th and 26, at Herbs underscore T-O, at Kess 2000, at T Cote, at Mr. underscore Adana, and at Advantage Fed. Uh, so thank you uh, for everyone else who uh, partook this week. Those are our six winners. You'll each get a pair of tickets. We'll be in touch to email them to you. And uh, thanks to Invesco Series for uh, hooking us and our listeners up with those. Yeah, great, uh, great promo- promotion of the sport and uh, some great tennis coming our way to Toronto Thursday, uh, September 26th at the Mattamy Center. Uh, Mike, you and I, of course, will be there as well. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590. Find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Our guest this week was Andy Roddick, but. Plenty more tennis to talk about, and we'll uh, continue on the men's side. Uh, discuss, I guess, further in detail the Laver Cup as Team Europe again retains the title, defeating Team World uh, this time thirteen to eleven. And I thought this was maybe the most dramatic, exciting installment of the three years that we've had. It was really good, and and I know a year ago was pretty good too. I believe uh, it came down to the wire. And you wouldn't think it because you look at these two rosters, mm-hmm. and no offense, Team World, okay, but when you've got Federer and Nadal on the other side, or Federer Djokovic in previous years, whatever the combination, when you've got two of those three all-time greats, come on, that's such a huge advantage in your favor. And yet some of the guys on Team World played arguably their best tennis of the year or some of their best tennis, like Jack Sock winning singles matches again. Um, Milos, while he wasn't victorious, uh, you know, very competitive in that final match that went to a, a 10 point tie break against Alexander Zverev. And for Milos, it's been a very frustrating season, uh, been injured pretty much from January onwards. So they made it much more competitive, which is great for the people that are paying to go and, and great for viewership on TV too. You don't want to see a route. Although the format is cool in that the points uh, sort of rise as you go through the weekend, making that last day, uh, you know, almost impossible not to not to count at all, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, of course, Denis Shapovalov was playing as well. You mentioned Zach Sock, who's great in doubles. Nick Kyrgios, again, had another thrilling match with Roger Federer. Anytime those two play, it seems to come down to the wire. That went to a 10-point uh, tie break as well, as opposed to a third set. Uh, Rafael Nadal... I was amazed that he was competing uh, coming off that U.S. Open title as 19th Grand Slam. You would have thought he's going to go home to Mallorca, take a break. But uh, he came out, he played a couple of matches, then the wrist uh, 
flared up a little bit, so he was not available, sadly, on the Sunday. So we didn't get the Nadal-Federer doubles pairing, which... Uh, we that had... was disappointing. I went back yeah. to bed because I was getting up at 6 a.m. to watch that one. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, all right, if there's any positive, I can get another hour of sleep before my kids wake up. No kidding. We have seen that pairing before a couple of years ago, but uh, Nadal did win uh, the singles match against Milos, as we mentioned, 6-3, 7-6. Denis Shapovalov uh, didn't get a win, but I thought he was really competitive. Went toe-to-toe with Dominic Team there. That was... 13-11 in the, the super tie break at the end. And, uh, yeah, this you, you look at the rosters, as you said, there's so many powerhouse players on Team Europe, even outside of Fed and Nadal. You have Tsitsipas and Zverev. Zverev seems to be playing uh, quality tennis again. He's had a trying 2019 season. And we're pretty excited because Geneva was the host here, host city, and obviously Team Europe having the huge advantage. Team World might have the crowd behind them uh, for next year when uh, this event goes to Boston. Yeah, they might, although if you get two of the three greats on the other side, you're always going to get fans for them too. So maybe 50-50 at best. I'm going to Boston next year. I I told my wife immediately today, I sent her a text. I said, next year, uh, September 25th to 27th, I am going to Boston. (laughs) She misread my text and thought I said I was going this year on those dates and kind of had a little freak out, understandably so. (laughs) But uh, I wouldn't wouldn't miss it. It's pretty neat. Uh, How many more years are we going to get to see Fed and Nadal, potentially Djokovic, playing in this type of fun event? I'm going to ask you in a second, what was your favorite part of this event this year and what's something perhaps to critique or that you would have liked to see? better for me the high point is going to be seeing Federer and Nadal coaching their fellow players imagine having those two with the combined 39 grand slams in one ear and the other giving you advice absolutely one of the coolest things I've seen and in terms of something they could do better perhaps the announcements uh the introductory announcements need some work uh Milos was introduced as the greatest Canadian tennis player ever and no offense but after Bianca's accomplishment Mm. recently I think you know she's probably trumped that and then uh, Dominic Team was announced as a uh, a clay court grinder prior to his match <laughs> oh, against Shapovalov. Oh, geez, I didn't actually hear that part, uh, but that that's a bit disappointing. Uh, I don't want to steal what your favorite part of the event was because probably that Fidal coaching tandem was was unbelievable. But maybe in in my case, the favorite part is this is really like a social media haven in terms of an event. So uh, gifable, if I can say, if I use that term correctly, had so many great video moments throughout the event and Labor Cup's uh, social media team did a fantastic job promoting. So it was sort of one of a kind, the coverage over the, the three days. Uh, my one critique, I suppose, is I, I just like that word exhibition removed from that. Mm. It, you know, all these players are taking it that seriously. I don't know if there's any way to somehow uh, turn this into something that is combined with the ATP and make it, you know, even remotely rankings driven. There obviously is prize money involved, but uh, you don't like the word exhibition attached to it. And and then so you have certain fans sort of doubting if the players are taking this seriously as they are. They'd have to change something because if it's going to be an official ATP event, and I mean, they're already counting it in ATP head to head, which I think is a little bizarre, especially that they went and they retroactively took the 2017 results and decided to count those in the official head to heads uh, on the ATP tour rankings, Mm -hmm. Uh, not rankings, sorry, but uh, head to head uh, count. So that to me struck me as odd. Uh, either you're an exhibition or you're an ATP event. What is this sort of in-between? But if you do make it official, then you're going to have to maybe adjust how players get into this event. It can't just be invitation only. It would have to be, I would imagine, based on 
uh, ranking at that point. Yeah, as opposed to maybe a selection process as well uh, from coaches. And uh, sort of the the question is, is can this event become what Ryder Cup is to golf? And Ryder Cup is uh, Team Europe against uh, the Team United States, and it's incredibly competitive. And I, I felt that competition here at, at Labor Cup. Uh, but interesting to note, because we're discussing if the ATP can be involved for Ryder Cup, uh, the PGA is actually... Uh, joins with Ryder Cup Europe to own that event. So that makes it, you know, not exhibition at all. Uh, the stakes are a bit higher. And I, I think there's some sort of formula you, you, you could determine that the ATP could maybe jointly run this event uh, alongside Labor Cup, uh, even though this is Roger Federer's baby, and make sure uh, that it continues on, you know, for years and years to come. It would be disappointing, as, as Roddick sort of alluded to, what will it become mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, Federer retires and eventually Nadal hangs it up and so on. Yeah, and I'm interested to see when the dust sort of settles off of the new uh, revamped Davis Cup Finals, which is coming up later this fall the brand new ATP Cup that debuts in January, Mm -hmm. and then, yes, the uh, Laver Cup once Federer and Nadal retire. Which of these three will continue? Which of these three, and and not to say that they're, um, you know, in direct competition with each other, but how much room is there for all of these events and how do the players continue to support them uh, in these new sort of, uh, you know, versions of themselves? Yeah, we want to make sure all those top players are able to uh, fit this event into their schedule. We'll continue on with some ATP results. St. Petersburg opened this past week. I was personally surprised that Danil Medvedev was playing. But not surprised that he <laughs> that he won again. No, no. Uh, winning Or made a final again, I should say. Yeah, winning seems to be all that he's been doing really uh, this summer it started at the city open reaching the finals there finals in montreal wins cincinnati finals u.s open and a 250 title uh at his home tournament in russia defeating borna chorich in the final and and chorich is a player who had actually owned him quite well in the past yeah four to one previous head-to-head but obviously medvedev a different player right now he's absolutely on fire Mm -hmm. who's going to stop this guy it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he plays out the rest of this year at this level yeah, yeah, it's been uh, pretty incredible to watch, and we we really have to list him as a top contender by the time we get to the end of your finals as someone who could realistically win that. Uh, at the Mosel Open, it was Joe Wilfried Sanga who captured the title there. Uh, we always get these random spurts uh, of either 2017, 2018, he did it too, where we see great tennis from yeah. Joe Wilfried Sanga. It's never sustained. He's one of the older guys on tour, but he's capable of great tennis for, you know, a couple weeks at a time. Just when I'm thinking, hey, retire might not be too far off for the guy boom title yep. and that's got to even for him probably uh, he reassesses where he's at with with his game and and in terms of the future because I, I don't know his age right now he's what 32 33 I want to say something along he those might lines even be 34 but, but a lot of injuries he carries a big frame which obviously is not going to make it you know any easier on him mm-hmm. uh, but a great result when he's healthy he's still definitely uh, someone to look out for yeah absolutely and uh, yes 34 years old we did have a great Canadian result uh, in Columbus Ohio it was Canadian Peter Polanski playing a challenger and winning his second career ATP challenger event uh, taking home $7,200 and jumping up to 
167th in the world. So that's a good boost for him. It really hasn't been the best season for Peter Polanski. So a nice positive there. And it's tough financially. I look at that $7,200 and it's like, okay, yeah, that's not a bad chunk of change. But then you figure in the hotels and the airfare and the coaching and all that kind of stuff. It is just so difficult for these players. And that's been one of the themes we've been examining all year long that fellow Canadian Vashik Pospisil has really made his mission to to push forward with is, uh, you know, some some parity, some financial uh, assistance and improvements with those guys and and women who are outside of the top 100 in the game. So good for Polanski. Hopefully he can end the year with uh, with a few more wins and uh, everything like every every moment like this is 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 huge for a player like uh, like Peter. Yes, it's vital to sustain and continue your career. Uh, coming up this week and really now underway, the Shengdu Open from China. Uh, John Isner, the American, is the number one seed and holding the number two seed is our Canadian Felix Oje Aliasim. He'll await the winner of Hian Chung and Zhao Sosa. So interesting to see what FAA can do. Uh, it was a disappointing U.S. Open for him, and really he hasn't had... Uh, as great a summer as maybe we envision, considering he has had a fantastic 2019. Two other Canadians in the draw, Denis Shapovalov, uh, moving over from Switzerland to play this event. He is the eighth seed here and will be facing Ricardo Sparankis in the first round. And Vashik Pospisil playing as well. He'll be taking on the Australian Jordan Thompson. So great to have three Canadians in this field. And, you know, of those three that you mentioned, you know which one I'm actually the most excited to see play and most interested to see how he finishes the season? It's not the kids. I mean, I know they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. They've got lots of time and they're going to have ups and downs. I'm really interested to see how Vashik moves forward if he maintains some of that momentum off his big win over Hatchinov at the yeah. U.S. Open and, and see what he can do with his ranking between now and, uh, you know, end of October, early November. Uh, and, and really someone that you want to see. I know we're Canadian and we're supposed to still, you know, maintain some unbiased media, but nice guy, worked hard. He's been through a, a tough go with that back injury. It'd be really great to see him push back into the top 100. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that's a, a big, big goal for Vashik at this point of his career. Still not that old. He's just 29 years old. He feels like an older guy, but he really isn't. Uh, one of our great veterans and member of the big four, let's say for a period of time when he was playing such great tennis, uh, Andy Murray is set to play four consecutive singles tournaments, uh, Zhuhai, Beijing, Shanghai, and Antwerp. And this kind of tells me he's building up his body to see what he can handle and see if he could realistically be playing singles at the Australian Open next year. Yeah, I like his comments. He's keeping things realistic, but uh, he's feeling pain-free, so that's good. He's saying fitness-wise, still got a ways to go in terms of getting the conditioning and the cardio back. That's understandable, but no pain in the hip, and that's remarkable news. So set to play these four events. He's hoping to get in, he says, 12 to 15 matches before the end of the year. And I think January, when he's starting fresh with everybody else, you know, that will probably be a little bit more realistic for him to uh, to have some sustained success, maybe get to some quarters or, or potentially beyond. But he's taking this as a sort of wait and see and no expectations, just happy to be back out there and playing singles, which, you know, earlier in the season, we didn't think we'd ever see it again. No, no, we uh, certainly didn't. Not after the Australian Open and the sort of goodbye video that we were watching. Stefano Tsitsipas is the number one seed in Zhuhai, Roberto Bautista Gut is the number two seed. We will shift over to the women's side. You're listening to Matchpoint Canada. And uh, we hyped it up on our episode last week that we had a hashtag she the North 
hat giveaway. And I know, Mike, that we have our winner. Yeah, so uh, again, lots of response on this one. And and I think, uh, you know, Tennis Canada uh, has a great opportunity here to start marketing some of this uh, stuff like the hats, the T-shirts, uh, whatever you can come up with. And not from a, you know, financial gains perspective, but Canadian tennis fans are so proud of what Bianca Andreescu did at the U.S. Open and the year that she's had that they want to wear these things to show that pride, their love for the sport, their love for their country, and for this exciting 19-year-old player that, uh, you know, we all can't wait to see what comes next. So thank you for the interest. Our winner this week is Kate Little, at LittleKate uh, on Twitter, and uh, you will have a She the North hat on your way. Thanks to Tennis Canada and our good friend Oliver Wheeler. Thank you very much, Kate Little, as well has been an avid listener, I know, for a long time. So that's great. Uh, congratulations on uh, winning the hat giveaway. We'll get to the women's action in Osaka, Japan. It was Naomi Osaka playing her home tournament and winning. Uh, so nice title for Osaka. And I think this sets her up for, for a good fall. The U.S. Open was... Okay, round of 16 before she ran into Belinda Benchich, who was playing great tennis. Uh, we, of course, saw her up, up front in Toronto at Rogers Cup. To me, Osaka is still one of the best three players in the world. Yeah, and post-Wimbledon, I think she kind of turned a quarter corner. It might not have seen it necessarily in the results uh, as much as uh, some would have liked to have seen, but just mentally speaking, she admitted she was feeling much more... Uh, content, happy to be back on the tennis court again. She's changed coach or gotten rid of her coach, Jermaine Jenkins. So mm-hmm. an, another coaching change. Um, Benchich, I mean, Benchich has really had her number this year, beating her all three times. But uh, nice to see her getting back to the uh, the winning circle. I really liked her deadpan humor in press where she said, well, yes, anyone, you know, from their home city takes on that name. And that's why uh, Osaka is the... And, and the press went kind of silent as if like, oh, is, the, is that true? But uh, <laughs> again, I think people getting used to that sense of humor, which, which I really enjoy, that sort of quirky slash awkward sense of humor. Yep. Uh, but, but good for her. And that, uh, you know, is, is coming at a great time of the season, winding down. And you, you want to finish strong. You want to go into 2020 with some, some positivity, if you can, obviously. Any player would say that. And so for Naomi Osaka, who's had a tough season, uh, which is funny to say, despite the fact she's won a Grand Slam this year, she's had a tough year overall uh, beyond that. And so this certainly is a is a good sign if you're a, a, a fan first. Yes, certainly is. Uh, over at the Guangzhou Open, it was American Sophia Kennan capturing the title there. And she is certainly one of those names of those rising crop of young stars. I know we were talking about her at length at the Rogers Cup in Toronto. She uh, has played a couple great matches against Bianca Andreescu this season. I'm hoping that can turn into a budding rivalry. And she is just the real deal in terms of her compete effort, her movement on the court. Of course, we saw her beat Serena Williams at the French Open earlier this season. I do think she has uh, the complete package to be one of the top players uh, for years to come on the WTA. Yeah, and she's been doing it on all surfaces too, right? She had success on grass too earlier in the summer and now on the hard courts. So uh, an all-surface threat. Uh, Love to see the next wave of players coming up, to be excited about the next wave of players. Uh, and, And she's certainly up there with Bianca Andreescu. I imagine plenty of competitive matches between those two. Uh, moving forward uh, as well. Another young name who was back this week, Amanda Nisimova, mm-hmm. who fell to the suddenly resurgent uh, Bam Bam Sam Stozer, who uh, made finals last week and beat Anisimova uh, this morning as we're recording this on uh, Monday here now. Um, and uh, didn't see that one coming. No, it's amazing that Stozer to me is, is on tour. She kind of, uh, she kind of reminds me, I guess, of, 
Svetlana Kuznetsova as well, sort of, I, I don't want to call them journey women because they've had fantastic careers. Yeah, we they've can't bo- use that term. We no, I, I don't like that term at all. And, and they both won Grand Slam titles, but sort of later stages of their career still for, you know, a couple weeks at a time for Svetlana Kuznetsova and here for Stoser I- into the fall, just playing some great tennis that you kind of shows, you know, you never lose the raw ability to strike a tennis ball really, really well. And that's something Stoser has done throughout her career. Led to that 2011 title at the U.S. Open, and here she is having a nice fall season. Stoser's still got the, I got to say, the biceps, man. Like, no matter how <laughs> many ripped. bicep curls I do, I will never have arms like that. And uh, and she wears those cool shades, too. So I, I always like the look that Sam Stoser brought on the court. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it is nice to see those players who have been around, who've had prior success, but still obviously love the sport, love to compete. Mm-hmm. And they're not just hanging on, but they're able to still have moments like this. Yes, certainly. Uh, more action coming this week. Wuhan Open, we'll see Ashley Barty. There's the top seed. Carolina Pliskova is the number two. So pretty good field. And should know Canadian Gabby Dabrowski uh, is playing in doubles there with her regular partner, Julie Zhu, uh, back joining her, not Caroline Garcia this time. So it will be nice to follow Gabby. I'm sure she will have a pretty solid schedule for the fall season as well and uh, we imagine on the double side she'll be competing at the WTA finals as well in Shenzhen. We'll wrap on Bianca Andreescu's schedule because everybody wants to know and uh, she's set to compete at the China Open in Beijing. That begins next week, September 28th. So we think back to last year and it's remarkable. It's It really is crazy. You look at the schedule she was playing last year. I mean, you followed her in the fall at uh, the Tevlin uh, I don't think she's playing the Tevlin Challenger this no, year. <laughs> no, not going to be at the Tevlin. But uh, you know what? I love that that smaller tournament that's here in Toronto. Obviously, for us living here, it's easy to get to. And it's always cool to see the veterans that are there, the young up-and-coming players that are there. In 2017, I saw Bianca absolutely bawling in a hallway with uh, her coach uh, at the time, Cyril Saulnier of France, who was there with her. And she was in tears because she was just so disappointed that she wasn't able to get further. Uh, She was talking about Cece Bellis, who had won the event, I believe, a year prior and was also a young player. And and why wasn't working out for her as fast as, as Bellis? Well, look what's happened now and how things have really clicked. Even a year ago, she was at the Tevlin where she made the finals but lost. And now, I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem like she's going to be playing another uh, challenger type event for years and years, if ever, to come. Um, But that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't go to these events and find someone else who could be the next following in those footsteps. For Bianca, she is now clearly on a different uh, playing field. And her goal would be to finish the year to qualify for, and it's looking really good, isn't it, for the year-end WTA uh, finals? Yes, in the Porsche singles race right now, she's fourth right now with over 4,700 points. So she's well on track to be part of that final eight, to be playing in Shenzhen, which would come at the end of October. Uh, So very understandably light schedule uh, for the tail end of the 2019 season. Uh, Very good choice by her and her team. You look at how much tennis she played at the front end of the season. What you're trying to avoid is any type of injury, any scare health related at all. So she'll play the China Open, which is, of course, a premier. So it's important to play. She'll be competing there. Uh, Another goal of hers, I know, is uh, to reach top three in the world, uh, which is certainly attainable as well. There's there's only so many more places she can go, right? Those (laughs) goals are becoming kind of narrow now in terms of what can she do next. Very, very narrow. And she's certainly going to be one of the top contenders to win that end of your finals tournament in Shenzhen, which we will be watching closely. We'll also be watching closely Thursday night in Toronto in Vesco Series 
series coming to the Madame Center, uh, where we will see our guests from this week, Andy Roddick, James Blake, Jim Courier, and Robbie Ginepri. And congratulations to all those who won tickets on this week's episode. It's like we're going back in a time warp on Thursday. I'm excited. <laughs> and uh, hey, before we wrap up, I want to ask you, how many Grand Slam champions do you think we've had on uh, the show now? Ooh, so Roddick tonight, obviously. So that's one. Um, let me see here. Yonk Andrescu is two. Good. Oh, geez. Jeez. Uh, I can't think of another. I'm going to guess three. There are three. That's right. We're not including doubles uh, or junior Grand Slam champs because that would open it up to like Vashik and, and Gabby and, and okay. Layla and anyways. Singles. But one other singles Grand Slam champ who we talked to about a year ago uh, when she was here for the Davis Cup as an ITF representative. Uh, Mary Pierce. Mary Pierce. Yes, that is right. Mary Pierce. Uh, so three Grand Slam champions on Matchpoint Canada. Not too bad. It's pretty cool. I got to say, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Andy Roddick was a fantastic guest. Uh, so we thank him again for joining us. We will be there to Watch him Thursday night at the Madame Center. Thank you for listening. This has been Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.